scholars told us early on that they don't take everything they read in the New Testament literally because the New Testament has four different and sometimes contradictory versions of Jesus' life. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When eyewitnesses to an event describe something, they will often describe the, the, the part of the scene that was most vivid to them. It doesn't contradict the vivid aspects that occurred to someone else. It's just that they, that they picked up on different things. When the gospel writers therefore describe an event, uh, they certainly aren't describing it in fullest detail. They're getting to a point. John, for instance, is a theologian. He is describing things from a theological perspective. Luke is an historian. He's describing things from an historian's perspective. Mark loves power. He loves action-packed verbs. And so we have these short, terse sentences, and we move through the narrative very, very quickly. Matthew is the quintessential Jew. He is looking for the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. And so we have all of this Old Testament background. They had different purposes. They wrote in a different fashion. God gave us all four because no one description is full enough to capture the fullness of the majesty and the glory of the coming Christ who is God with us whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts and ways higher than our ways. There's no way to boil this down into a single consistent narrative because we need a thousand different facets and a thousand different perspectives just to catch a glimpse of this majesty. Yes, there are differences in the gospel accounts, Let's begin with the first obvious difference that seems to concern Jennings so much, the story of Jesus' birth. First, there are different genealogies of Jesus. The Jews knew that the Messiah was to come from the house of Judah and specifically must be a descendant of David. Up to this point, Matthew and Luke agree with one another. There could be several reasons why Matthew and Luke contain different genealogical accounts. The church historian Eusebius, writing in the early 4th century, records that separate genealogies appear for the following reason. Jesus had both a biological mother, Mary, and a legal, but not biological, father, Joseph. Matthew records Jesus' genealogy by law through his adoptive father, Joseph, and Luke records the genealogy of nature through his biological mother, Mary. According to Eusebius' ecclesiastical history, Julius Africanus, a third century church father, explained this alleged contradiction in his letter to Aristides. The Gospels give different versions of what happened on the day that Jesus was baptized. In one Gospel, John the Baptist actually heard a voice and saw the Holy Spirit. And based on this, John told everybody that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, I've examined the Gospels as literary products of their time, and I, I think it's fair to say that most of the claimed contradictions result of a misunderstanding of how the literature of the time was composed and what was acceptable. 
Well, the accounts of Jesus' baptism are basically uniform, but one of the differences I've seen this kind of nitpick done before is whereas Matthew has the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Mark has the voice saying, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Practically speaking, there's no difference between these two, and they're the sort of normal variations we would expect between any historical accounts. When we speak of inerrancy, we don't necessarily mean that they had to have verbatim exactly the same words. Inspiration doesn't require that. Well, even when two descriptions use different words, conceptually you will find that they're identical. In that particular case, they're still reporting the same concept. Uh, simply because they use the same, different words to describe it doesn't mean anything. Well, in each case, the author was writing to a specific audience that would understand certain things better than the other audience might. Uh, Matthew was writing to a specifically Jewish audience. Mark was writing to a specifically Roman Gentile audience. And some things Matthew's Jewish audience might understand better than Mark's audience. That's most likely the cause of the differences. Historians differ about what happened at the Last Supper. Some people think the whole speech about his body and blood at that meal was added by the Gospel writers. The Last Supper probably occurred over the course of about three to three and a half hours. When we read the narratives in any one of the Gospels, we can read through the entire Last Supper section in the longest of the narratives in less than three minutes. What that means is a lot's left out. And so when we read the Gospel accounts, we have to remember that we're getting more information, not conflicting information, just more. Well, even in modern written histories, we can find examples of the same sort of thing happening where two historians will give more than information than another historian. So the Gospels are not unusual in this regard, but no one picks up one of these modern histories and says, well, that's an error because he gives a little more detail than the other fellow does. But ancient writers especially were perfectly free to give, give variations in the way they told things according to their purposes. If they had an audience that needed to know more about a specific subject, they might tell a story differently. There's certainly no reason to claim that these are errors in the text. Ancient writers had the ability to use editorial freedom to make things as understandable to their audience as possible. One of the things we have to remember is that in this day and age, 95% of the people, or 90% of the people at least, were illiterate. And so the only way they were going to get this message was to hear it and remember it. And to that extent, we're not going to see necessarily a lot of the extraneous details reported. Now Luke was particularly different because he was writing to someone who was literate and so would have the luxury to try to read these things. Matthew and Mark's readers may not necessarily have had that luxury, and so it was up to them to make things a little simpler for their readers and also easier to understand. In every version of the story, the Jewish leaders take Jesus to the Roman military governor Pontius Pilate and have to pressure him before he will pass the sentence. Many historians don't believe it. The Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ, brought this objection to the forefront again. It's one that has been repeated time and time again, though. And that is one that says, when you compare Pilate in the Gospels with the Pilate that's recorded in other sources, such as the Jewish historian Josephus, you get a complete contradiction. The Gospels seem to portray him as a very weak, vacillating, or as one man put it, charming man, while Josephus seems to report him as an iron-fisted tyrant. 
One of the examples of Pilate's supposed weaknesses in the Gospels is when he is portrayed as saying, well, I'm going to go ahead and let Jesus go. Uh, the, gospel, the Gospels supposedly portray this as a weakness in Pilate. What he's actually doing when he does that is he's trying to put something in the nose of the Jewish leader and saying, I'm going to release this guy even though I know you want him punished and because I know that's going to make you upset. There was a scholar who looked particularly into this. Uh, he, he wrote an article called Pontius Pilate and the Sources in which he answered this question. When you, you have to look at the portrait of Pontius Pilate very closely in the Gospels, and what you realize is you don't see a weak, vacillating person. What you see is a person who is realized that the people, the Jewish leaders, are trying to manipulate him to do their will. And he's not particularly fond of that, so he's going to try and manipulate them right back. Most of the things that he does with Jesus are not cases of him trying to give up, but him trying to thwart the will of the priest. And he's sort of having a little fun with, him when he, with them when he does that. Anybody who knows anything about politics knows that a man can be both a weasel and a tyrant simultaneously. In fact, most tyrants are weasels. Politicians are looking to uh, gain an advantage. They're looking for ways to, uh, to manipulate the crowds. They're looking for ways to ingratiate themselves so that they can then bring das Boot down on those same people. So to see Pilate in two different ways, Josephus describing him as this tyrant and the gospel writers uh, portraying him as a man malleable in the hands of the Jews, seems to me to be entirely consistent with what I know of Washington and London and Paris and Moscow. Jesus is not an heroic figure at all until he gets into the hands of all the people who are going to write and embellish about him afterwards. When we look at the Gospels and what genre they were in, what type of literature they were intended to be taken as, they fit snugly into the category of Greco-Roman biography. The Greco-Roman biography was written specifically for people to understand as a form of history. There's no indication that they were ever written to be understood as mythical or as false. Whatever else we can say about the Gospels, it's clear that the authors intended us to believe that they were true events that they were reporting. We have direct testimony by an eyewitness, such as John, saying what he, these things which we have seen, these things which we have heard. Or we have someone like Luke who professes to have looked into these things and interviewed those who have seen what happened and had gone on. If we have to judge the Gospels by other historical accounts, we have to conclude that they are eyewitness testimony or else reliant on eyewitness testimony. And you find that the Gospels have the little incidental details and the other things that signify eyewitness testimony. So-called contradictions in the gospel accounts always take three forms. Number one, two different passages contain the same information but are given in two different contexts. Number two, there are two passages that give the same information but one passage adds more information than the other. And number three, there are two passages of scripture telling the same story but from two different perspectives.